As I was about to say, this morning we have a special guest, um, John Voorhees here from Compassion. Um, Compassion is an important ministry for us as a church. If you look, uh, Willem and Colleen, they have updated the Compassion Board with uh, the kids that we sponsor. Um, this is something that is important to us as Christians in terms of following Jesus and having compassion and mercy for others. So John, if you would come and share God's word with us. Well, thank you so much, uh, Pastor Jason, for uh, giving me this opportunity and giving up the pulpit for a Sunday. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm, I'm just an honor to be here again this morning. Uh, what a beautiful, beautiful area to be hanging around for a couple of days. My goodness, I'm spoiled. <laughs> uh, in, in March of 2002, I left my church after attending there for a few decades It was a difficult decision, but it quickly became obvious that it was God's will. At that point in my life, I thought I was a pretty good Christian, but I soon learned that I was nowhere near. In reality, I had no relationship with God. Um, Sure, I knew he was there, up there somewhere, uh, but I thought being a good Christian was all about being doing good deeds and being a good guy. I certainly had the appearance of a model Christian on Sunday, but from Monday to Saturday was a whole different ball game, kind of like that gentleman uh, who spoke about those curling buddies. wasn't far off. I was clearly going in the wrong direction. On the first Sunday of my planned church hopping, I found myself at Efree Church in Lethbridge. I heard the pastor was really good, but if I'm going to be really honest, what I really wanted to do was check out the cool contemporary music that they sang to. The music was great, but I quickly became disappointed as it turned out to be a mission Sunday. I need to confess that back then there were two things in my life that I couldn't have cared less about, missions and children. God really does have a sense of humor. However, on that day, I didn't see the humor, and I had no intentions of returning. There were other great churches in Lethbridge with good music, and they weren't so focused on missions as I thought back then. But thank God, a couple of friends of mine convinced me to come back and try E-Free one more Sunday. So on my second Sunday there, and guess what? Another missionary. Who knew March was Mission Month? However, this time was a guy named Fraser from an organization I have never heard of before at that time, Compassion Canada. I did the polite thing. I listened to him, but with little interest. He was talking about children, after all. But when he was finished, he invited us to go to Kenya and Uganda with him to see what true desperate poverty really looks like and what Compassion is doing about it. To this day, I can honestly say I cannot explain But I immediately knew at that moment that God wanted me to go to Africa. It was so strange because, as I mentioned earlier, I had no relationship with Jesus. But no matter, I went up to Fraser and asked him if I could come. So fast forward to October, and we were flying into Nairobi, and my main thoughts were about how I couldn't wait for that two-day safari at the end of the trip. But I first had to get down to the business of missions. And our first full day was a Sunday, and we went to an Anglican church and then a non-denominational church service. And I thought, wow, this mission stuff is really great. I can do this. But the next day, everything would change. Everything. On Monday, October 26th, our first visit to a compassion project was in a slum called Nathari Valley. Fraser admitted that he was throwing us into the fire, 
because this was easily one of the worst places Compassion works and serves in the 25 countries we work in. The community, if you can imagine, is approximately 400 meters wide by approximately two kilometers long with a population of somewhere between 750,000 and 1 million people. As we were descending into the valley, I was, become, I was beginning to get a good look as to what I was going into. But when I saw a woman washing her clothes in the most disgusting, filthy river I have ever seen, I looked at Fraser and I said, man, that's just wrong that she has to do that. He agreed, but he said, if you think that's wrong, John, what would you say if I told you that that's also their drinking water? I immediately told him I would go back to the bus, wait for everyone. I knew I was way too emotional for this kind of stuff. I would embarrass myself. I was going to embarrass the team. I would embarrass compassion. But he said, you know, you've come too far to back out now. Would you let me pray for you? I very reluctantly said yes. And amazingly, God gave me the courage to continue in the nightmare I saw spread out in front of me. Truly a miracle. If you knew me back then. On the way down, he said he couldn't tell us what was in the children's hair, on their hands, or in their clothes, but many will come up to us, want to shake our hands, maybe get a hug, maybe even some love from somebody. If we could find it in our hearts to give them that love, he said, please do. And you know what? That's exactly what I did. Another miracle. As we made our way to the Compassion Center, I saw things I could never, ever have imagined. I was overwhelmed as I found myself in one of the worst conditions in the world in which people have no option but to live in. As we continued to walk towards the center, I saw toddlers sitting or playing by thin streams of open sewage. They would be gumming unknown objects and exploring their world of rusty bottle caps, garbage, and excrement-saturated mud. And I am so ashamed to say that my first thoughts were, what kind of a mother would allow her baby to play here? Such regrettable first thoughts, because I soon discovered that the answer to my question is, the kind of mother who allows this is very often a dead mother. Then my question turned to God and asking him, why would you allow this to happen? Why is it so unbelievably harsh for so many when so many of us have it so good. I wasn't going to get my answer at that moment, though. But I couldn't wait to get to the center, hoping that things would look a lot better. The building certainly didn't. The school was a mud hut with holes in the walls, had dirt floors, no desks, no books, no paper, no pencils. The children had to remember what they learned the moment they learned it. But they all knew this was an opportunity to get an education and escape Mathari Valley and they weren't about to squatter that opportunity. But one thing that was very obvious the moment I arrived at the Compassion Center was that the kids were the happiest children I have ever seen. And after observing them for a while, it drove me crazy. I couldn't figure it out. I just had to ask the pastor and the director, how is it possible they could be so happy when they clearly have nothing they both looked at me with a kind of, I don't know, pitying look or something. And the director said, I beg to differ, but they do have something, something very, very important. They have Jesus, and he makes 
all the difference in their world. I was clearly out of my element because it was obviously I didn't understand poverty one iota and it was also obvious that I didn't even understand my own faith. So in understanding poverty, we need to understand clearly that the greatest tool of the enemy and the least understood tactic of hell is indeed poverty. Let's go way back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 to be precise. First God created the world, and he saw that it was good. Then he created human beings, and it was very good. Interestingly enough, though, God never intended anyone to be poor. Poverty was not in their vocabulary back then. God intended everything to be provided for, and it was actually perfect. Then came the fall, and sin entered the picture. Satan whispered into Adam and Eve's ears that they could be equal to God. All you have to do is eat an apple from the forbidden tree, and the only reason it's forbidden is because God doesn't want you to be as smart as he is. If you eat it, you will become his equal, and all of the commandments will not apply to you anymore. We know this sin destroyed their relationship with God and with each other. Both Adam and Eve and all that came after suffered in relationships, suffered in childbirth, in economics, the sweat of our brows, all of this we know. But here's what we don't often understand. I said earlier that poverty was unheard of and even unthinkable. But after the fall, poverty became the default setting of the entire world. And our fundamental need now has become and remains reconciliation and to right our relationship with our Creator. So Christ then comes to earth and he now becomes friends with the poor because by the time he comes to earth, there is a lot of poverty. Jesus was not born into a life of opulence. On the contrary, he was not well off at all. But more than just being friends with the poor, he becomes an advocate for the poor. And he said in Matthew's Gospel that when you serve the poor, you are actually serving me. So let's go into the strategic nature of poverty. And to do that, let's go back to Genesis 1 again and look at it just a little bit differently. As God was creating earth, he had an audience. It is clear that there were spirits watching the creation process. When he made his ultimate creation, Adam and Eve, he did something very different from all the rest. He made them in his image. One of those witnesses to all of this was indeed Satan. And he noticed something. Ever since he was cast out of heaven, he was at war with God and always looking for ways to get even. But he couldn't find any weakness, but eventually he did figure something out. He saw that God loved those human beings more than anything else that he ever created. And his love for them was amazing. Satan is smart, and he quickly figured a way to hurt God, to get even, and that was to hurt his human beings. And he figured out that the earlier he could do that, the most effective he would be. And so as a result, we have by no accident an entire industry devoted to ending children's lives in the sanctuary of their mother's womb. Did you know that almost half of all babies that are conceived are aborted now? If perhaps you beat the odds and survived abortion, then Satan enacts plan B, and that is child neglect and painful abuse. We work in places where we have to go in and rescue children as young as five, six, seven years old from brothels, from slavery, from dangerous gangs. I could go on and on with my list. 
We fight against that sort of thing every single day. This tool of neglect and abuse is a very well-oiled machine, and it is very effective for Satan. But he has one more tool if those two don't work, and it is the most effective one of all. That tool is poverty. The World Bank tells us there are two levels of poverty. The basic level are those who live on 275 a day. This is a large part of the world's population, but there's one more level down that the World Bank calls extreme or absolute poverty, and these folks earn less than a buck ninety a day. In 2002, I would have said that 82% of our children in our compassion families live in that category, but I'm excited to tell you that that percentage is much less now. But I can't get into a whole other discussion about that this morning. But in the last 20 years, I'm happy to tell you that desperate poverty has been cut in half. We don't know that. We don't hear that. The good news. But for the one billion people still in this lower category, the worst aspect of poverty remains. It brings a cruel message, a damaging message. Poverty tells children, you don't matter. You are going to fail just like your father and your father's father. Nobody cares or even loves you. Not even God cares. You are useless. All of these messages are told to a child by poverty. It doesn't speak verbally, of course, to the children, but their surroundings certainly do. The context of their situation certainly do. It speaks and it speaks volumes, and the children absolutely believe those lies. They believe God doesn't love them. He only loves foreigners. If God loved us, we wouldn't be poor. And so these damaging messages are beat into the minds and hearts of these little children. But poverty actually breeds fatalism and apathy in adults of every age. I see it so often in my travels around the world. But folks, it doesn't have to be this way. There is a solution. It isn't this way by chance or because God didn't know what he was doing. It is because he has, a plan, he has an enemy with a very brilliant plan. But thankfully, God has a better plan. His plan A. We are in a spiritual war. We as Christians are fighting Satan for the hearts and souls of children. He is very subtle in his attacks on everyone, but especially children. And even young adults in school or in college. We can't kid ourselves. If Satan can control children, he can control the war. It is reality that theological knowledge is developed in a child before age 14. What they believe at that age, they will most likely believe when they die, unless God somehow intervenes in their life. That is why our main focus is on children. Not only that, but children are the church's great, greatest resource. The term missions that we use in church is so sterile, so fuzzy. We think of slideshows and sunsets and little trinkets from Africa. But in fact, as we Christians are engaged in this war, it is not about programs. It is all about people. Jesus was all about people. And ministry to children is the front line of this war. If any of you help teach children in Sunday school or any children's ministries in any way, you need to know that you are actually on that front line. You are strategic. Not just filling time or babysitting, you are making a positive impact. Satan's goal is to recruit and neutralize the emerging generation of spiritual warriors. And children in this war are the ultimate prize. The most loving and strategic interventions that can be done right here in this church 
or in your home. And indeed, what we are doing through Compassion's ministry around the world is to bring them through the local church to their heavenly Father. The moment a child comprehends that God loves them, their divine potential is just unleashed. That is why Compassion chooses to work exclusively with the local church all around the world. Our ministry is not about alleviating poverty or feeding or clothing or even educating children. Of course we do all of those things. But our ministry is child evangelism and discipleship through their local church. That is what drives us. That is our agenda, bringing children and their families to Christ. They themselves will then become change agents for their community. When a child in poverty encounters Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they go from being worthless to absolutely priceless in one single step. We are going to stop the strategy of Satan and of hell by being Christ-centered, church-based, and child-focused. And we will never change that, ever. So what is God's plan A? Of course, it's his church. It's the great hope for the entire world and God's chosen instrument to advance the kingdom. He has no plan B. Compassion's view of the church is molded by Christ's view. We do not work through the church. We work with the church. I will challenge anyone when I hear or see the church being used as a tool rather than a mission partner. I will forever challenge any organization that drifts from the church. And very sadly, there are many that are doing that now. I love that you can go to any one of our 7,000 plus church partners Uh, in our 25 countries and not ever see a compassion sign or see a non-national working or volunteering for any jobs. Many people in the communities we serve don't even realize it is a compassion church. The church is not part of our marketing strategy. We want to be part of their mission strategy. The church does not exist to help us achieve our mission. The church is our mission. Because of this, the local people see the church as the champion in their communities. We saw over 159,000 children and their family members give their lives to Christ last year alone. That works out to one every four minutes. 400 to 500 people every single day, folks. That's something worth celebrating. And the average growth of our church partners from the day they began to year four is an astounding 300%. I came home from Africa a very, very broken man. I hated everything about my life and the obscene opulence we desperately hang on to in our society. I was angry with everyone and I had no idea how I was ever going to be able to live here with peace in my heart again. Don't get me wrong, I still dislike and struggle with our society. But with the help of a couple of wonderful people and most certainly by the grace of God, I have made it and now stand in front of you 16, 17 years later and my passion is children and Jesus. And it continues to grow. That is an amazing gift I have received from God. I needed to learn that I am not going to change our society, but I can help people change their attitudes. And I learned that I can't change the world as much as I wanted to when I came back, but I can change the world for one child. And I learned the answer to my question, how can God possibly allow so much suffering, pain, and heartbreak in the first place. 
Thanks to the Compassion staff and volunteers in the partner countries and the uh, partner churches in the countries I've had the honor to visit, but especially thanks to the sponsor children and their families, both my own 11 kids that I've visited so far as well. They have taught me not only with their words, but even more clearly with their actions that God is so very faithful, no matter what our circumstances. The faith I have seen has humbled me beyond words. They totally understand that what matters is what we do with the span of life that he gives us, whether short or long, what kind of people we become, that our real lives are still to come, an entire eternity ahead, that knowing Jesus gives them the most important thing of all, and that's hope. God is clearly doing his job. So God's not the one we should be asking after all. It is us, his children, who we should be asking why we allow his, this to happen in the world that he gave us to take care of. It is clear to me that we live in a world that is much more unjust than I ever could have imagined, where too many evil people hold power and too many good people are not doing enough to make the darkness turn to light. It is also very clear to me, much to my deep sadness, that I can't fix it all myself, but I can hold high a single candle of hope and light that my Heavenly Father has given me against the darkness. I have faith that in the end God's purpose of our, for our world will not be thwarted. And if the darkness seems awfully big for my little candle, that's okay because there are a lot of other candles being held high out there. You guys are, a number of you are doing that. Already giving light of hope and we've just passed our two millionth child a month ago. But the challenge is that two million is just a small drop in the bucket. It is a start, but we must be ready to answer the question with action. Can we show a Yeah, so I'd, I'd, just before I close, I'd love to ask you to, to turn your attention to this short video. It always amazes me that she said that her sponsors gave up such a huge sacrifice. I mean, we're talking 41 bucks a month. That's uh, amazing, the, the difference, the way we think. So in closing, I invite you to become a part of this amazing strategy to work with compassion as we continue to remove children and their families from this most desperate poverty. Become a part of this amazing strategy by giving them the true hope, the hope that only Jesus can give them the hope that will continue to bring them to our Heavenly Father. If you don't sponsor a child through compassion, I encourage you this morning to change the world for one or more children. Come to the table and sponsor. But don't ever sponsor because you feel sorry for them. That's the wrong motive. Don't sponsor because you are embarrassed that you have so much and they so little. Sponsor because you absolutely love them. Sponsor because Jesus made it so incredibly clear that children are his favorites. Please allow me to share a few examples. In Matthew 18, verse 1, the disciples asked Jesus, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
Jesus called a little child to him and sat him down right there between them. Then he said, unless you become as this little one, you won't even enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles themselves as this little child, they are the greatest in heaven. Then in verse 5 he says, And whoever receives one such little child in my name receives me. It kind of reminds me of Matthew 25.40 when it says, King will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did it for me. Then in verse 6, he comes at it a little different way and he says, But whoever offends one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged around his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Folks, he is so serious about children. And again in verse 10, he says, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Now I have to admit, that one had me a bit baffled. So I checked the children's Bible version, a little more of my style, and it goes like this. Be careful, don't think these little children are worth nothing. I tell you that they have angels in heaven who are always with my Father in heaven. Folks, every child has an angel. That is so incredible. Let me share one more. Verse 12, verses 12 to 14. If a man has a hundred sheep, but one of the sheep gets lost, he will leave the other ninety-nine. He will go and look for the lost sheep. And if he finds it, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that were never lost. I tell you the truth, in the same way your Father in heaven does not want any, any of these little children to be lost. If you already sponsor, and I know there's a number of you that do, the, the, the beautiful uh, wall there is very evident. Um, God bless you for doing that. But would you consider another one this morning? Over 80% of the kids on that table back there this morning are not yet Christians. You can write letters to them. In fact, I would beg you to do that and speak your faith into their lives. But you could even go and visit. Nearly 10,000 people did that last year alone. What a fabulous opportunity to become a missionary and a mentor to a child who desperately needs you. Just imagine when you get to heaven and your child or children are standing around you but not just them, but all the other people that they brought to Christ as well, all thanking you for loving them and changing their course in life. I get quite a few people approach me and tell me that they need to go home and pray about it. I didn't realize it until a few years ago, but helping the poor, the widow, the child, indeed the least of these, is mentioned over 2,000 times in the Bible. Over 2,000. I don't mean to be flippant or rude, but I don't believe for one second that if you have to pray about it, God was going to say no to you this morning. If you feel him tugging on your heart, I urge you to come to the table and respond. Just really quickly, I have um, a few children here. Uh, I know that Willem spoke last week a little bit about if you're, you know, you don't, you're just maybe a little older, you don't think you can handle it for a long time. We have a few kids on the table that are teens. In fact, we have two 18-year-olds that could be 
as short of a relationship as perhaps a year or two, but it could go to 22 if they can actually qualify for the post-secondary program that we have now. So if you want a shorter term, please please talk to me about that. And I also have brought in five children that live within walking distance of Calvin and Nicole. Um, walking distance for Kenyans, maybe, and some hardier Canadians. It's less than 30 kilometers away, so uh, I was excited that we could find them so closely. So if you're interested in that, um, please come talk to us about that as well. If you do happen to go to Kenya and visit your, your, your folks there, um, you can make arrangements to visit your child for a day and spend a day with them. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm so grateful. Um, God bless you, and hopefully we'll see you back.